Glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, like Albert said, we were here when Redeemer started and love this church and are very grateful for the ways that y'all have loved us over the years and uh, especially now as we're planting a church in the Mississippi Delta, which uh, we tried to not do that. I don't advise doing that. We, uh, we did our best to get out of the Delta after living there for 10 years and seems we're going to be there for a while. So uh, a lot of people have asked us why a church in the Mississippi Delta because it's, uh, it's not strategic, makes no sense. Nobody, you don't like pass through the Mississippi Delta uh, on your way. I mean, you've got to be going there. So it's not, you know, it just doesn't make sense. Other than uh, the fact that the blues started in the Mississippi Delta. And it's this place that's known, I mean, that's what we're known for. People all over the world come to Cleveland and the surrounding area every day not because it's so awesome and because we don't have a movie theater or a Target or uh, really anything cool, but uh, they come there because they want to see this place uh, where a whole genre of music started and to kind of relive history in, uh, in a very broken part of our history. And so we felt compelled to plant a church in the midst of that uh, that speaks differently than the church has spoken there in the past. Uh, to be the church that, and, and the thing that is comforting about it is the church that is uh, guaranteed in scripture in Revelation chapter seven is the multi-ethnic church. And so we're not doing that out, out of fear saying, Hannah, maybe this will happen. We know that that's gonna happen. We know the end, we know that Jesus's church is multi-ethnic. And so, we did it for that, just out of confidence of knowing that, that that's the type of church that uh, Jesus is building. But also, uh, out of the fact, if you read through the book of Acts, you see that uh, the church in Acts, they were preaching the gospel, but there was also lots of stuff happening that you could see, like healings and all kinds of miracles. And they were things that made people wrestle with, hey, there, something's happening here. There must be a God. And, uh, and we firmly believe that racial reconciliation is one of those signs in our culture, that where there is racial reconciliation, that is a sign pointing that, that God is at work there. And because uh, you can fake a lot of stuff, uh, you can't fake that. Our culture's tried to do that, they've tried to figure out how to do diversity and reconciliation and they can't do it. And so when the church does that, it's a powerful witness and sign. And so, uh, yeah, that's what we're, what we're doing. And, we need prayer and encouragement, and we need to get out of there pretty often. So nice to come to the big city and uh, hang out in Jackson. So, all right, enough about me. John chapter 21. I'm going to read uh, this great text of how Jesus uh, restores Peter uh, to his place in, the, in leadership in the church uh, from a really broken place. And I think there's something... Uh, for all of us here today. So let's give our attention to God's word in John 21. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee, and this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, 
But the disciples couldn't see who he was, and he called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, Throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to the shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard, dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we're grateful that you have given us your word. And we're grateful that you uh, saw that it was necessary that we know about the leaders in the church faults. We know about their brokenness. And Father, we confess that uh, as churches, we have not uh, done a very good job of this, of being authentic, being real, of owning up to our own weakness and brokenness. And so often uh, we've been accused of, uh, of acting and hypocrisy, and uh, it fits. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us faith, that like Peter, uh, we could be okay with who we are, that we could uh, know that you love us as we are, and to know that uh, no matter what's going on with us this morning, that you are still in the business of healing people. And so we pray that you would heal us. We pray that you would help us to see Jesus this morning. And that by faith, uh, we would be changed. And so we pray uh, that you would be at work through the preaching of your word. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so Peter, if, you've, uh, if you're not familiar with the, with the Gospels, Peter uh, is this guy who's bold and he's... Uh, got a big mouth on him, and he has made this uh, bold claim earlier in the Gospels that Jesus has told him. He says, hey, uh, I'm going to be crucified, and all y'all, you're going to fall away. 
And Peter looks at Jesus and says, no, like not me. I will follow you no matter what. Even if I have to die for you, I will follow you. And if you keep reading in the Gospels, you realize that Peter does exactly what Jesus said he was going to do. He falls away. He denies him. And it's, uh, it's such a big deal. And, and it's easy, I think, if you're familiar with this story, to kind of read over, gloss over that text. You know, one of the 12 that Peter has been, one of the 11 uh, other guys that Peter has been rolling with for the past three years, he commits suicide over this deal. So it's, I mean, it's that big a deal. I mean, imagine that. Somebody that you've been super close with, you've been friends with, you've been doing ministry with, you've been working with every day for the past three years. Something so painful happens that, that one of your crew commit suicide, and it has just like rocked these guys. And so that's the context for what's going on. And so there's just a couple of things I want us to look at. Number one, Jesus loves you in the midst of your brokenness. And number two, that Jesus wants you to participate with him even in the midst of your pain. And so the first thing is this, that Jesus loves you in the midst of your brokenness. And as I was working on it, I decided to change it to uh, Jesus likes you in the midst of your brokenness. I think that is something that we don't uh, say enough. You know, everybody who's been a Christian for any amount of time knows that they've heard God, God loves everybody. God loves me. But it's pretty rare that you hear somebody say, you know, God likes me. I mean, do you ever say that? Or do you ever feel that? That, that God actually like, likes to be around you? Likes who you are? I think there's something to that, I don't know, maybe that's just me. But, you know, there's always been people, and this is really popular right now, there's always been people who preach and teach the victorious life, right? Y'all heard that teaching? They flip on that awesome TBN, and uh, that was a joke, TBN's not awesome. Um, <laughs> but you flip it on and, you know, it's all victorious life. It's all, you know, and it involves some cash, like you gotta invest a little, you know, seed money. but it, uh, they're always making these claims that, that if you'll follow this teaching or you'll do this or you'll do that, that you can get it all figured out and you can get your life in check and there won't be any issues there. And, and it really, Peter has kind of bought into that. You know, Peter lives by the law in a lot of ways. Peter, uh, he lives his life with, with, you know, this is kind of his mantra when he wakes up in the morning. I've got to love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength, which Jesus says that is the law, right? Like, and, and yet, if you noticed in the middle of this text, uh, and if you read through John, he keeps referring to himself as this. There's a guy who keeps calling himself the disciple who Jesus loved. Have you ever noticed that? And it's like, it's a pretty bold claim to refer to yourself as the one who Jesus loved. And if you look at Peter's life and you look at John's life, like John had this focus. God loves me with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, and all his strength. And you see the subtle difference there? One guy saying, I got to love God. I've got to do this with all my heart and all my soul. And one guy is living his life saying, God loves me with all his heart all a soul, so much so that I'm willing to call myself and put it in writing, the apostle who Jesus loves. I think there's something there. 
Uh, Peter, he hadn't really grasped that yet. You know, Peter was still living in Romans 7, where there's this wrestling between there's things that I want to do that I don't do. And there's things that I shouldn't be doing and I keep on doing them. And it's just killing him. And then you find Peter here in this midst of this failure. And he's really having a hard time believing that God's grace is greater than his sin. You know, do, do you wrestle with that? Like, do you have a hard time, like, really believing that? That God's grace is bigger than your failure. That his love for you outmatches any brokenness in you. Because I think Peter, even though he had watched Jesus for three years, he had watched Jesus attract the most broken people to him. And he was a leader in this movement. He still had a really hard time with that. You know, in the movie uh, Slumdog Millionaire, kind of an oldie but goodie, there's this really funny scene where... Uh, one of the brothers, they're, and it's set in India, and they're, they're running this scam. And it's hilarious because the way they're doing it, they're scamming people into paying them to get into the bathroom. And the bathroom, if you've seen it, is like this just wood uh, kind of outhouse shack built over just a big lagoon of poop. And uh, sorry, that, I, I kind of got that reaction in the first service. I was trying to think, like, is there a better word? I don't know. I mean... The word I grew up using is totally inappropriate for the pulpit. So, uh, I don't know. Recommendations are after, after the service. Anyway, so he's, his brother, though, w what happens in the scene is he wants to get the autograph of their, like, their hero. This, uh, this actor's coming, and he's this famous action hero, and, uh, and he wants to get an autograph, and he has this picture of him. And his brother locks him in there running the prank, but then leaves him in there and runs off to go get the autograph and leaves his brother. So he's like, all right, I've got to either wait this out, miss getting the autograph till my brother gets back, or he can drop down the hole into the lagoon. And uh, that's what he decides to do. He drops down in there, and he is just covered in raw sewage. Like, he comes out, and it's like, all you can see is his eyes. And then the next scene, there's his hero is up there, and all the kids and everybody are surrounding him. There's no way to get in. Except as he starts getting closer, it just parts because he smells so bad. And he's able to walk right up to, the, to his hero, get the autograph. And it's just, it's a beautiful scene of, of something that I, I think that in the Gospels you see over and over again. It's people's brokenness. It's people's just the raw sewage of their emotional and spiritual and physical lives that get them access to Jesus. And Peter, even though he's seen that, like he's seen it over and over, not just like not in reading like we do, he has watched it and witnessed Jesus attract these broken people to him, and he still doesn't get it. Like when it comes to him, he's like, yeah, I get it for them, for the prostitutes, the tax collectors, but I'm supposed to be a leader in the church. I'm supposed to have it together. And he has a hard time believing that it's really his brokenness that attracts Jesus to him. And so I wonder uh, if we believe that today. Do we believe it for ourselves? Do you believe that the junk that's still in your life, the brokenness, the mess, that that's still, that Jesus is still attracted to that? 
Or do you believe he's repelled by that? And then for the world, do you really believe that, that Jesus is attracted to the brokenness in this world? Uh, that he really does see himself as a doctor, a physician, one who goes out to heal people. So the second thing is this. Jesus wants you to participate with him in the midst of your brokenness. And, you know, that word participate, that's a word that's used all throughout the New Testament. And, you know, I've used this word a lot in the past. Some of the hymns and songs we sing use this word, but you often hear, and I've, I've been guilty of saying this many times, God wants to use you in the midst of your brokenness. You know, you hear, we say that a lot, right? God wants to use you. Um, I don't think that's accurate. I don't think that's good for us to say. And I, I thought about that as, you know, with my kids. And, you know, if you do say this, I, I get it. I get why you would say this, but it, it's not good. So maybe get some counseling or something. Uh, but if you look at your kids and you're like little kids and you're like, man, I can't wait till they grow up so I can use them. Um, yeah, that's... That's not good. Let's, don't, uh, let's try not to do that. God doesn't look at you as his child and say, and his main goal with you is that he just wants to use you. Nobody likes being used, right? And, and I get what we mean by that, like God wants, but I, I think the word participate is the word we need to use. God wants, he's inviting you into something, the, into something big, into something world-changing, life-changing for you and for this world, and he wants you to participate with him in it. But I think the thing that keeps us from that the most is what Peter's doing. If you look back in the text, Peter, he says, I love this line, and, and this is me for sure, like I have no doubt about this, this is me projecting onto the text. And my counselor has told me that like, I do that a lot, like I project my garbage onto people, which is not good, and I realize it, I'm trying to work on it. But I'm going to do it with the Bible now. So Peter, uh, Peter, I just imagine him doing this. Peter says, I'm, I'm going fishing. And I picture Peter grabbing the Copenhagen out of his pocket because you know for the three years while he's followed Jesus, he's gotten rid of all tobacco use. So he pulls, uh, he pulls that out and he puts a big dip in and he's like, I'm just, I'm just going fishing. Like, for, forget it. And if you... If you think about this, like what fishing was like then, like this is not river runs through it. Um, I'm going to get my moleskin journal and go, uh, like I'm going to go fishing and contemplate uh, life. Like he's not doing that. He's saying, look, I'm going to go back to my old life. Y'all ever done that? Anybody ever felt like, you know, I'm going to go back to the, I'm going to go back to my old life. And I know this about Peter because if you read his life story, when Jesus first, first meets him, he's a commercial fisherman, which, again, like if you've never been around like businesses like that, like go watch like Deadliest Catch. Like we were watching one of those shows the other night and my son was like, Dad, why does it beep so much? And I was like, well, that's because they're swearing. That, like that is the language they speak on the boat. And Peter, when, when, when Jesus first meets him, he says, Lord, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Like, you don't belong out with this crew. Because this crew, the, the life of a commercial fisherman is not, like, it, it, sweet and soft. It's, 
if you, if you look back in the text, it says that Peter had stripped down for work. So, again, he's not in his Orvis gear. He has taken off all of his clothes because it's nasty and it smells bad. And he's like, man, I'm just going to go all in back in my old ways. And I think that a lot of times we probably feel like that, you know? Or at least I do. I mean, I feel like, man, some days, like especially Monday morning, I'm like, man, I would love to just like, like if we were talking about, man, I'd love to just go back. To, I got to be careful. Let me, uh, let me not do anything ridiculous. I would just like to punch the clock and, and like go to a job where I don't have to do this anymore. And there's this great picture, though. Peter, he has just, a, and I really think he has just a mustard seed of faith. I think Peter's faith is almost gone. I mean, he's watched Judas, who just lost his faith. He cashed it in, couldn't take it anymore. I think Peter's almost there, but he sees Jesus. You know, he realizes after the big catch, he realizes that it's Jesus on the shore. And he dives in the water to swim to him. Because I think he had just a mustard seed of faith that, man, maybe Jesus, maybe this is real. Maybe Jesus' love for me is greater than my failure. Maybe Jesus' love for me is greater than the pain I'm experiencing because of my own sin. And it's this beautiful scene where Jesus welcomes him he restores him, and he, he does say some painful things to him. He's the good counselor. In, uh, in the play, The Angel That Troubled the Waters, there's a, there's a doctor, and he so badly wants to be healed. Like, it's a doctor, and he has some pain in his life, and he wants to be healed, and it's, the, it's set around a story earlier in John's Gospel where there's a guy who is paralyzed and he's wanting somebody to place him in the waters that they believed would, an angel would stir him up and if you got in that water, it would heal you. And so it's a play set around that and finally this doctor gets his chance and he's going to get to get in the water. But right when he's about to get in the water, uh, an angel says to him, draw back, physician. This moment is not for you. And listen to what he says. Um, the, the angel says to the physician, he says, without your wound, where would your power be? It is your very remorse that makes your low voice tremble into the hearts of men. The very angels themselves cannot persuade the wretched and blundering children on earth, as can one human being broken on the wheels of living. In love service, only the wounded soldiers can serve. Draw back. It's this beautiful scene of the angel saying to him, hey, I, I know that you think if you could just get rid of like that thing that you want to get rid of so badly, that wound, that brokenness, that addiction, that pain, that then you would be fit for my service. And, and the angel says, look, it is that very thing that makes you fit for service. It's that very wound that allows you to speak to broken people from a place of grace, which is just what Jesus asked Peter to do. He says, hey, take care of my sheep. I mean, think about that. Sheep. Like, what's it going to take to tend broken, wounded, wandering people? 
It's going to take a wounded guy to do that. And so Peter has to be convinced that Jesus loves him in his place of deepest shame. You know, when, when I was growing up, and probably some still at, at this point, I've, I had a group of guys, a group of friends that, you know, if you've been around like locker room, locker room talk, uh, it's like sharks uh, circling the waters that are looking for blood. That's how guys are. And just, you know, to warn you parents of uh, your children about to start playing sports, uh, they're looking for weakness. You know, guys are looking for something that if they can, if they find, it's not if, when they find your weakness, they just like pounce on it. They, uh, you know, and that's just a fact of life, unfortunately. But, but Jesus, the way he treats Peter is when he finds his weakest point, Jesus calls Peter something. He says, he calls him the rock. I mean, how cool is that, that, that Jesus looks at this guy who has blown it and who feels so weak, and he tells Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. You're my rock. And, and I believe, you know, there's a passage in Revelation that talks about this name that Jesus has for all of us. And I think it's probably, it has something to do probably with wherever you feel the weakest, wherever you feel the most shame, that Jesus has a name for you there. And, and it's the opposite. It's, it's not like the locker room buddies do where they prey on your weakness and they exploit it. It's, it's the opposite of that. You know, it's Jesus calling out something in you that, that we probably don't talk about enough in the church, which is your original goodness. You know, there, uh, in Genesis, before there's ever the fall, before there's ever sin in this world, before there's original sin, there's original goodness. It's called being created in the image of God. And so Peter looks into Jesus. I mean, Jesus looks into Peter, and he calls him the rock. You know, there's another fame, uh, favorite apostle of, uh, of Jesus's, and that's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a former terrorist. You know, imagine that, your pastor, your church planner being a former terrorist. And, and I'm sure I know that Paul hated that. And Paul had a lot of brokenness because of that. And Paul asked Jesus one time, he asked Jesus, he begged him, he says he pleaded with him to take his weakness away. And we don't, you know, everybody speculated about what it was. Uh, who knows? I got some ideas, but uh, he begged Jesus. Jesus, will you please, how, how can I lead the church with this weakness in my life? And listen to what Jesus said to him in 2 Corinthians 12. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And Paul responds, he says, So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. So the power of Christ can work through me. You know, what if we could do that? What if you could boast about your weakness? I mean, I can, I can barely imagine that. That takes so much faith to boast about your weakness because you believe in the power of God's grace. You believe that God's grace is greater than your sin. So let me close with this. Um, there's... In, in Acts chapter 5, there's a really disturbing story, which has always bothered me, and 
I still, I don't know that I understand it, but there's a, there's a couple, a married couple, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, and they, uh, they decide that they're, because a bunch of people, you know, and this is really cool, it's always a sign that God's at work when people are giving away stuff and selling stuff and just doing stuff that's not natural. It's not natural to sell your house and give it to the church. Uh, but if you want our account number, I'll be glad to give it to you. But it, that's just not normal. People don't do that. But, but that was happening in the early church. People were selling their property. And this couple saw, you know, all right, this is legit. Like people are making a big deal out of this. Barnabas is like getting patted on the back. So they come and they make a big show of it. They lay their stuff at the apostles' feet, you know, their proceeds from selling their uh, rental houses. And part of the deal was, though, they didn't, they didn't give it all. They said they gave it all, but they didn't. They kept some. And the Holy Spirit struck both of them dead. And it's a disturbing text. You know, I, but as I thought about it, and I was listening to somebody else teach on it, and how it ties into this is, look, what the world needs from the church is for us to be authentic, for us to have integrity. And not in the sense of like, hey, we, you know, we, sh we show the church that we're really great people because, you know, newsflash, we're not. Uh, what I mean by that is, look, what, what should have happened in that text and what the Holy Spirit was protecting the church from was they should have just come out and been like, hey, man, we sold the property and we wanted to keep some for ourselves and I'm sorry. And that would have been the text in the, that was in Acts of like, here is this great repentance these people just being honest about who they were. And they weren't. And so I want to encourage you this morning as a church to say, hey, why in the world would John 21 be in the Bible? Why in the world would, would it be put in Scripture one of the biggest failures in the history of the world? Why, why would we want to keep rehearsing that? What's well, this? It's so the church would be the only place in the world where you can be authentic. The only place in the world where you can share your brokenness. The only place in the world where that is celebrated. Because out there, it's not. And, and I would advise you not to share it out there. But in here, you, you share your brokenness with one another. And as you do that, God's grace is magnified. And that takes a lot of faith, I know that, to come out of hiding, to come out of the darkness, and to share your pain and your brokenness and your sin with one another. But if you see in the text, what will happen when you do that is God will take it and he will use it in such an incredible way and he will restore you. And so for those of you who are wondering, hey, should I get back in the game? Like even, should I even be here coming to church this morning? You should. And, and should I be serving? Should I be, should I even think about like doing some of these things that are listed in the bulletin? You should. You should get back in the game. Because God's grace is greater than all our sin. Let's pray together. Our Father, would you help us to believe the gospel this morning? Help us to believe that you really are that good. That there is no ill will that you're harboring for us, but that you have completely uh, taken our sin and separated it from us as far as the east is from the west. That Jesus, you have borne it all away as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world.
And so, Father, we pray that you would bless Redeemer, that this would be an authentic church, a place where people can be honest, where people are able to share their weakness, and where there's healing that's happening, and, and where people know about it. And so we're thankful that you have uh, given us this time this morning. We ask these things in Christ's name.